0: Please open your Bibles with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. It's been wonderful this morning to hear the gospel read, to sing the gospel together, and we glory in that, don't we? That despite us being born in sin and in guilt, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, who was born of the Virgin Mary through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Of course, we're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was truly God and truly man. He was truly man so that he could be your and my perfect human representative in the courtroom of God. He had to be truly God to be the spotless lamb of God that would take away the sin of all who would believe in him. So he lived the life that you and I could not live and died the death that all of us should have died. Not only did he die and shed his blood, the Father punishing him for our sins, but he died and was buried in the grave for three days. And then to show that the Father was pleased with that sacrifice, God the Father and the Spirit raised him from the dead. He is today standing at the sitting at the right hand of the Father, awaiting His return. And the promise for us in Scripture is that all those who believe in these things with all of their heart and turn from their sin and repent will be saved. And one of the crown jewels of the gospel is that we are saved by faith alone. This is such good news, isn't it? You don't have to live your entire life in fear that you have not done enough to earn your salvation or to keep your salvation till the end because Christ has done it for all for you. Yes, you are saved by works, it's the works of Christ you are saved. You simply receive that as a gift through faith. Romans 3:28 says we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Galatians 2.16 says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Seems clear enough, right? We're justified by faith alone. But for those of you that watch college game day, Saturday mornings in the fall, you know the famous words of Lee Corso, Not so fast, my friend. Not so fast, my friend. As we come to texts like James chapter 2, verse 24, we read these words, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. How do we explain this? Even the great German reformer Martin Luther struggled to understand these words. And so as to be good defenders of the gospel, we need to have a ready answer for this text, don't we? Now a basic rule of Bible interpretation is context, context, context. When we look at passages from Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, we see that as Paul is talking about justification, how would you define that? It's a kind of justification that is, happens how many times in a person's life? One time. It is a one time legal pronouncement of righteousness based on your repentance and faith in Christ. We are justified by faith alone. It's a one-time legal pronouncement of righteousness. That's that context. But when we get to the book of James, we see that we are dealing with a very different context. Who is James writing to? If you were to look at chapter 1, verse 1, you see that James is writing to the dispersion. These are people that because of their faith in the gospel are being persecuted. In fact, they're persecuted to the extent that they had to leave everything that they knew, everything that they owned, and fled for their lives. They were ostracized from family and friends and societies and synagogues. So it's no wonder that James begins his book writing about how to respond to suffering. And because suffering oftentimes leads to temptation, then he talks about temptation he talks about not giving preference to one another, the rich and the poor. He talks about the nature of true religion as taking care of widows and orphans because he is talking to Christian refugees. Think for a moment what that would be like. Uh, Sharon and I and my family, we were in the Czech Republic when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine last year, February 24th. And immediately uh, people began to flee, and we hosted some in our home and, and in our church and in our community, and we saw people coming all hours of the night, going to pick them up at all hours of the night with nothing. They had nothing. Only what they could carry in their hands. Multiple children with just what they could carry, not even a change of socks, This is the kind of environment that we're talking about in the book of James. People that have lost everything because of their faith. So, to these people, what does genuine Christianity look like? And James is painting a portrait for us. What is the proof that you can see that someone is genuinely born again, truly a Christian? And when things are going well... Good in life, business is good, kids are being born, there's not much persecution for the faith, life can be easy, particularly in the South, I know from Alabama as well, and living in Texas for six years, sometimes it may even be good for business to go to a church, you have business contacts. But what happens when persecution hits, then authentic Christianity is put on display and false professors are exposed. It is a kind of sifting process. And so in our text this morning, James, his purpose is to contrast dead faith with living faith. To show that faith without works is dead faith. It is not true faith at all. So let's notice together James's discussion of dead faith at the beginning. Let's look at verses 14 through 20 again. Dead faith. What use is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. Well, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe that and shudder. But are you willing to recognize you foolish fellow That faith without works is useless. Now notice the very first thing that we see in verse 14. What if someone says? It is a verbal confession. I have faith. I am a Christian. This is absolutely crucial for understanding where James is going with this argument. As we say in English and other languages around the world too, words are cheap. Things are very easy to say, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are true in one's own heart. Just because someone says they're a Christian, where is the proof? How do you know? Well, it is really, and what God does to change the person's life. It is a changed, reformed life. So let's back up for a moment and ask a couple of questions. Number one, how would you define saving faith? If someone were to ask you that, I would have faith. But what does that mean? And is there such a thing as non-saving faith? I think for that question, is there non-saving faith? The answer would have to be yes. We see that in the New Testament. For example, in John chapter 2, many were following Jesus and had a, a kind of faith. They saw his miracles. They wanted free breakfast. But the text says in John chapter 2 that even though they were following him and calling themselves his disciples, he did not what? He did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in them. They were following him for false motives. We look at the parable of the soils where some people receive the gospel with sometimes even with great joy. But when persecution comes or even sometimes prosperity, they fall away and show themselves as not to have been truly born again. We really don't have to leave our own text to show that there's a kind of faith that doesn't save because verse 19 shows us that demons have a kind of faith. But none of us would say that demons are going to be in heaven with us. So how do we define what true faith is? Well, The very first aspect is that you must understand the content of the gospel. If I were to ask you to stand behind the pulpit this morning and say, would you explain the essential elements of the gospel, what would you say? That's critical for us as Christians to know, isn't it? We must understand the things that I spoke about at the very beginning, the nature of sin, the cross, Christ, resurrection, virgin conception, all of these things, the return of Christ, But is it good enough just to know the content of the gospel? Well, that's where we get to the second aspect of faith is there must be an assent to the gospel an understanding that it is true. So you must understand the content and you must also understand that it is true. But is that all there is to saving faith? you know the content, you know it's true, are you saved? This is where theologians throughout church history have said, no, there's a third critical element to genuine faith. That's because the devil himself, he knows the content of the gospel and he knows it is true. But he is our great enemy of the faith, isn't he? And so the third critical element of the gospel is a heartfelt trust and a repentant faith. In the Lordship of Christ. How do you know if someone has this? Uh, do Christians, genuine Christians, walk around with a red dot on our heads? No. So James is going to talk about outward signs or fruit of genuine faith. Now we need to step back a second time and ask another critical question. This determines the passage. That actually makes the answer to this dilemma very simple It is the term justification Now we already saw from the text that I quoted earlier romans galatians ephesians That we are legally justified at the moment of faith by god. It is a One-time experience where god the father legally pronounces you righteous our problem is is that every time, or we tend to, at least I do, every time I see the word justification or justify in the New Testament, I want to import that legal definition into the term. Here's the key to understanding the passage, brothers and sisters. There is a second way to understand the same term, justification. This is very easily shown in English dictionaries, Czech dictionaries, Russian dictionaries, many languages around the world, Understand that the term justification can be used as a synonym of vindication. Vindication. Or, how would you define that? It is proving a claim to be true by evidence. You justify a claim, you vindicate a claim, you show it to be true by evidence. So let me give you an illustration of that. If you were in Sunday school... Uh, you will have seen a picture of my family. We have five children, four boys. All of my boys are taller than I am now. Six three, six two area. And so let's say that one of my boys comes up to me and says, Daddy, I'm looking down on you now. I think I can tap you out if we wrestle. I think I can wrestle you and take you. Now, men, what do we say to our boys when they say things like this? <laughs> Let's move the furniture. <laughs> Let's take the challenge. Got to take these boys down a notch, don't we? But you hear what I'm saying. One of my boys made a claim. I can out wrestle you. And what did I say? You're going to have to justify that claim. You're going to have to vindicate that claim by out wrestling me. And we're going to videotape it. So you understand, in English, vindication, justification can be used synonymously. But you might be asking, okay, that works in English, but what about the New Testament? Show me an example in the Bible. I want to know from sh- for sure that Greek can be used that way. Well, one example is Matthew 11:19, 19. And this is where Jesus says, wisdom, okay, notice this, wisdom is justified by her deeds. Some of your translations might say wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Now, would it make any sense to say wisdom is legally justified by deeds? That doesn't make sense, does it? But it does make sense to say true wisdom is shown to be true wisdom by what it does. It's vindicated by what it does. It's justified by what it does. Another reference is 1 Timothy 3.16. This is probably an early hymn of the faith where Paul writes, Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Now notice our term here, justified by the Spirit. If you have an English Standard Version, it actually says vindicated by the Spirit, but it's the same term, justification. Does it make any sense to say that Jesus himself was justified legally? No, that makes no sense, does it? But it makes complete sense to say that Jesus was manifested in the flesh and by his works through the Spirit was who he said he was. So his claims were justified, vindicated. So now if we return to the book of James, things start to make a little bit more sense. If someone says verbally, I am a Christian, but lives like the devil, the life does not justify the claim, does not vindicated by the claim. The claim is a lie. It's a false confession. It's a dead faith. So what James is going to do is he's going to give us an example of that in verses 15 and 16. He says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and in need of a daily food, one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Typical James. Who's he talking about? The poor. Why? We're talking about Christian refugees. But not just any poor. What does the text say? What kind of poor? Your brother or sister. And how poor are they? Verse 15. They are without clothes and in need of daily food. What does this false confessor say? Go in peace. Be warmed. Be filled. This could be understood in one of two ways in the Greek language. In the, in the middle Voice it could be you need to go and make yourself be warmed and filled in other words You need to go get a j-o-b and take care of yourself and your family The passive voice would be more of kind of like a spiritual prayer over them Be, Be warmed and be filled as the door is being shut in their face Either answer is not good. Is it? Where is christian love? Where is Christian compassion? Where is Christian hospitality? That is a hallmark of Christianity, is to be hospitable to those in need, particularly our brothers and sisters. This almost completely mirrors uh, Jesus' sermon in Matthew 25 as he's talking about the final judgment and those the goats on his left that showed no care for the hungry, the thirsty, or or the stranger without clothes. So verse 17, James uses the ultimate description for this kind of man or woman. He says, this kind of faith, if it has no works, is dead. It's by itself. We understand this concept. If we look outside and we see a tree, if a, if a tree is bearing fruit, it is living. But if a tree is not bearing fruit over seasons, we understand it's dead. It's not worth anything except cutting it down and using it for firewood. And so it is with dead faith. It is useless. It's just words. And so now in verse 18, James is going to emphasize the empty content of the empty confession. He says, someone well may say, you have faith and I have works. Now, we don't have quotation marks in the Greek language, and maybe some of your translations have quotations in different locations. I would say the quote is, you have faith and I have works, end quote. And then James is going to bring the commentary. Well, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This is a hypothetical situation. James is talking to a critic. What is the critic saying? The critic is saying, James, there are a variety of gifts in the church. I have faith. You have faith in works. You're good. I'm good. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's just get along. It's just a difference in opinion. But what James is saying is absolutely true. Show me your faith without the works. That's impossible. Because if God changes your life through the gospel, you are born again. You are made into a new creature. These are radical concepts that will necessarily change your life. You cannot claim to have faith without it changing your life. And so he says, I myself, I'm going to show you my faith by what God has done in my life by changing the kind of man I am. It's like one man saying, I can throw... A football 80 yards. And then say, well, I don't need to prove that to you. I can just do it. You need to trust me. And then Dak Prescott comes through the back door and he grabs the football and he throws it 80 yards. You understand the difference between someone who just claims they can do something versus claims it and then can actually back it up. So, too, faith. And works are inseparable. So we have several young people here today, right? Uh, we have a. Let's say I had a quarter. What is on the two sides of a quarter? Do you remember what's on one side? What's on the other? George Washington on one side, and what's on the other? Bald eagle. Very good. So let's say I give you a quarter. You say, "Thanks for the quarter." It's probably not good for much today, right? Maybe a piece of bubble gum but you look at it and George Washington's head is on one side and you look on the other the other side's blank like what is this can you buy anything with that well no because it's not true legal tender it's it's false money it's required to have both sides and so it is with faith and works they are inseparable they're like the two sides of the same coin martin luther says it is impossible to separate works from from faith as impossible to separate burning and shining from fire. John Calvin said faith alone justifies but the faith that justifies is never what alone. Now James's critic is going to step back up to the microphone he's going to say wait a minute wait a minute. I can say the great shema of Israel from Deuteronomy 6 Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Surely I'm a believer if I can say that. This is the statement of faith for Israel, recited every morning and evening by every Jewish parent child. In contemporary Christianity, you could say it's something like saying the Apostles' Creed every day or the Nicene Creed every day. Surely you're a Christian if you can affirm those things but notice james's response in verse 19 you believe that god is one what's he referring to the shema deuteronomy 6 4 you believe that you can kind of see the sarcasm in james's voice in other words he said you do well congratulations guess what who else does that the demons do that This goes back to what I said before, the three critical elements of faith. Yes, you must understand the content of the gospel and affirm that it is true. But that does not save because demons know that they even shudder at that. There's the third critical element of repentant and heartfelt trust in Christ. The demons have a kind of faith. Isn't it interesting? There's no skeptics or atheists among demons. Brothers and sisters, you can have absolutely correct doctrine, but you may not be saved if your faith is simply an intellectual one. Hell will contain many people that have conservative evangelical theology. Yes, you must possess good doctrine, but good doctrine must also possess you. James, I think, takes it a little bit further here to humiliate those that he is talking to. He says, yes, you can say God is one, but what good is that? Because actually the demons do that and they actually have a reaction, whereas you yourself have no reaction to the gospel. At least they shudder. You have no response. You have no works. And so here we see the elements of dead faith. It's an empty confession. It's non-working. It's useless. It has no compassion. It's said to be dead with superficial content, and it does not save. By the way, I think it's interesting that what James, the approach that he's taking here, he's not saying you may not be saved because you're doing all these horrible things. He's saying you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I think that's helpful because a lot of times you evangelize people. And say, "Well, I've never killed anyone. I've never murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. And James is saying that's, that may be true, but do you do what you ought to do as a Christian? That's the difference between the sin of commission and omission. So in verse 20, James kind of sparks our attention. He says, you foolish man. Our, our modern politically correct sensitivities may be offended at that. He's calling us foolish. Why would he do that? I think he's doing that for those that are not believers in the congregation. Sometimes strong language is required to wake people up from spiritual slumber. And he's saying, do you, do you want to be shown even more evidence? Anyone who might believe in this, do you want more evidence? And that's exactly what he's going to do. This is our second point. Living faith living faith. Verses 21 through 23. Notice the father of the Jewish people, Abraham. This is great by James. You wonder, okay, why does he talk about Abraham? If you're going to make a point about a theological doctrine, Abraham's the father of the Jewish people. Use Abraham. That's like your ace card, right? You're proving a point. So he goes right to Abraham. He says, well, it's not Abraham, our father justified by works When he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar, you see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected or completed, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness or considered to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, if we read this text outside of its context, it looks like James is teaching us that we are saved or legally pronounced righteous by God by what we do, by works. But by now, you understand that there are two ways to understand the term justification. There's the judicial aspect, a one-time legal pronouncement right at the moment of faith, And then there's the second kind of justification. The synonym was, you remember the term? Vindication, or uh, proving a claim to be true by evidence. The challenge is, how do you know when James is using one or the other? So let's look at the argument he's making here. What two events in the life of Abraham does he mention in the text here? What two events in the life of Abraham? The first is his willingness to sacrifice Isaac, the covenant son. What is the second event? Verse 21, or in verse 23, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Two distinct events in the life of Abraham separated by 30 years. Here's the next question. Which one of those came first? His... Legal justification as God pronounced him righteous based on his faith or his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. Which came first? Reckoned righteous from Genesis chapter 15 comes first. This is when God reckoned him to be righteous, imputed righteousness to him as a one-time event. So the question then becomes, how how can Abraham be justified 30 years later or legally pronounced Uh, righteous 30 years after this fact well this is where naturally this second definition of justification comes in in other words when when abraham was willing to sacrifice his only covenant son after he's pushing a hundred years old what did that do that vindicated his faith it showed that his faith was genuine faith before all others So he experienced salvation in Genesis 15 when he believed and he exhibited the validity of that salvation 30 years later when he was willing to sacrifice his son that vindicated his faith. It justified it it showed that it was true. If that is not true, you have the same definition of justification. You have Abraham being saved or justified twice, which makes no sense. So you have to have these two different kinds. A question you might ask, the text answers, why? Why was Abraham willing to do that? This was the son, the covenant son. All the blessings came from him and and Abraham was asked to sacrifice him. How could he possibly do that? Verse 22 answers the question. Faith was working with the works. As Philippians 2.13 says, it is God Who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If it weren't for God working in Abraham's heart in your heart today, we would not have the ability to obey. But because of him, we can. And so those works, as the text says in verse 22, completed his faith. Again, going back to the illustration of a tree, if a tree is healthy, it is growing, it will Bloom and produce fruit, and when the fruit comes, that is, in a sense, how the tree experiences completion because it has fulfilled its function. And so it is with Abraham. The works completed his faith to the extent that he is called the friend of God. So, the essence of verse 24 this is the verse that I read at the very beginning. How do we answer this? That we are not justified by faith alone. So you could almost paraphrase it this way, that a man's claim to faith is vindicated by his works and not just by a verbal claim to have faith. To remember that, I really encourage you to write in the margin of verse 24 the term vindication there. A man's claim to faith is vindicated justified by his works not just by a verbal confession when you understand it that way it perfectly makes sense doesn't it but James does not stop with Abraham he's got another card up his sleeve who is his second example that he gives us and this is fascinating who does he mention Rahab Rahab verse 25 he says in the same way was not Rahab The harlot also justified by works. Okay, what does he mean there? When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. By now, you know, you're smelling what we're cooking, right? You understand the the justification is probably going to be defined as vindication or proving a claim to be true, which would necessitate that Rahab would have had to been saved prior to what? Prior to the coming of the slaves. Now, if this was not true the whole my whole argument falls apart so we'd better justify my claim by turning to judges to see if she was truly born again so let's do that together joshua chapter 2 joshua joshua chapter 2 did rahab already have faith in the one true and living god before the coming of the spies Joshua chapter 2, we'll look at verse, beginning of verse 10. Joshua 2, beginning of verse 10. For we have heard, this is Rahab speaking to the spies. She said, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Now in your text, depending on your translation, Lord is an all capital, which means what? It's a reference to Yahweh. This is not a general name for God like Elohim or even our English word God is just very general. But Yahweh is the covenant name for God. If you're reading the Legacy Standard Version, it has Yahweh there, which is helpful. So get this, Rahab is using the covenant name for God. And she says, we know how Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og that you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For Yahweh, your God, he is heaven in God in heaven above And on earth beneath, that is a confession of faith. And then she transitions, now therefore please swear to me by Yahweh, since I have dealt kindly with you. And she asks for salvation for herself and her family in the midst of the imminent attack. So you understand this together, like Abraham. Before the spies ever got there, Rahab was legally pronounced righteous before God because of her faith in these things, and so when the spies came and she was willing to to risk her life to say them, that justified her faith, that vindicated her faith, that showed that her faith was genuine and just as a, another side note, you know, we kind of think sometimes about these stories and think this just kind of happened to happen about the spies going to rahab 's house. This is not random, is it? This is not arbitrary. Where the spies chose to go to this woman's place. This was sovereignly determined by God from eternity past that they would go to this woman who would already be saved so that she could not only save them, but her faith would be shown to be true faith. So to prove his point, James uses Abraham and Rahab. You ever wonder why examples are, are, are chosen? Yes, Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, but why would he choose Abraham and Rahab? Two completely different characters. One, a man. One, a woman. One, the father of the Jewish people. And the other is a foreigner. Both were in the line of the Messiah. He was a moral man. She was immoral. He is a patriarch. She is a prostitute. He is high and lifted up, and she is low. He is in the spotlight. She is in the shadows. What does this show us? That all throughout history, regardless if we're speaking of men, women, Jew, and Gentile, God always saves the same way. It is through faith in his promises And also going with that, the other side of the coin, that those that are saved will endure. They will persevere. They will bear fruit. That is shown by Abraham and Rahab, two completely different characters. Also, I think that is very interesting in this text. What do these two have in common? Both of them clearly exhibited hospitality. Abraham in Genesis 18 with the three angels remember that they came to him and they showed hospitality for by providing for them and obviously Rahab by hosting the spies. And what a wonderful contrast this is with the false professor that was completely inhospitable to a brother and sister without clothing and without food. As James' last effort, we turn to verse 26 to help us understand the illustration. He says, Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is returning to the picture of verse 17, isn't it? And it's a, it's a picture that we all understand, death. Whether it is the death of a loved one, a person, the death of animals, we all understand that when the spirit Leaves the body, there is no movement, no sound, nothing. The point he's making is that a dead body without breath is no more alive than a faith without works. And this is a fearful prospect, isn't it? I encourage you all this morning, as you think about these things, to evaluate your own lives, examine yourself. To see if you're in the faith. You may have grown up in the church like I did. You hear the gospel your whole life. And at the age of 17, I had a youth pastor that was bold enough and loved me enough to ask me the question, Why do you think you're a Christian? Which shocked me. It's like, almost, how dare you ask me (laughs) that question? But that's what God used to cause me to evaluate. Yes, I know the gospel. I know that it's true. But have I ever truly repented and given my life to Christ? To say it is, I that no longer live, but I, I live for Christ. To live is Christ. Ask that question of yourself. Evaluate your heart. Speak to your parents. Speak to one of your leaders here. Speak to one of the elders or deacons, people that would love to speak with you to talk about these things. To give you assurance in the promises of the gospel. So as we return to the original question, does Paul contradict James. Absolutely not. We see that they are talking about different things using two different terms for justification. Once you understand that, the two ways justification can be understood, the answer is very simple, isn't it? Very simple. I like the way that John MacArthur talks about Peter and, or Paul and James on the issue of justification. He says, I suggest to you that James and Paul are not, they're not standing face to face in a confrontation. They are standing back to back, fighting two common enemies. Paul is fighting those people who want salvation to be by works. James is fighting those people who want a salvation that does not demand anything. Paul is saying salvation is only by grace. James is saying that salvation only by grace produces works. There's no debate here. Paul is defending himself against legalistic salvation. And James is defending himself against a libertine approach that says you can believe and have no change in your life and still be saved. There is no contradiction. And so, brothers and sisters, we glory together, we have joy together that we are saved freely, justified freely by faith alone in Christ And in the power of the indwelling spirit, we are born again for a life of fruit bearing. So my prayer this morning is that this will give you confidence as you evangelize and defend the faith that you can explain these things yourselves in a very simple way and to give you boldness to do that. And for those of you that are not sure of your salvation, they're still considering those things, please talk to someone. We want to talk to you. I'll be up here after the service as well. Let's pray together for these things. Father, we give you thanks for your kindness to us in the gospel. We thank you for, from eternity past, the work of the Trinity in planning the plan of salvation for those that are Helpless and weak those that are your enemies That because of your love you have showered your grace and mercy upon us that we have the opportunity Not to glorify you forever in hell by showing your justice and holy wrath But we can glorify you forever by believing in your promises enjoying heaven with you forever Father I pray for those here this morning that you would work in hearts for those that may not know you, to convict them of the sin, open their eyes to understand the glories of the gospel, the hope of heaven. And for those of us that seek to be faithful to the Great Commission, would you help us to have boldness and resolve to get out of our comfort zones, to talk to people about the gospel out of love for them, understanding that we are Always talk to those that have eternal souls, that will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. Help us to realize that life is not just about us, but we serve others primarily through preaching the gospel. Help us to do that. And we ask that you would give us success by your spirit in causing dead sinners to live. And may Grace Bible Church be a light not only in this community for the gospel and discipleship, but be a light for churches Around the world and I give you thanks for their partnership with us in the ministry what a joy and privilege it is for us uh, To be a part of their ministry here overseas Father we ask your blessing upon this precious congregation praying in the name of the father son and holy spirit. Amen